0: And so the Lord says this, and then the people respond and they go, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. And declares, you're saying sing right now, God, but I don't feel like singing. I have problems right now. You said you have comforted me, but why are there problems in my life right now? Why don't I feel like singing? Yet the command, the invitation, the, 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 the drawing towards goes, Sing! Because he's comforted. And they go, but you haven't. And how similar we are. We find ourselves in those places. So God begins to show an argument. He begins to do it with a picture. A picture that every one of us knows so well. He says, can a woman forget her nursing child? That we should have that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. You ought to think about mothers. And mothers amazing love for their children. Mothers absolutely uncompromising, does not matter what the son would do, but would continue to move towards her son in love. That's a mother's. Nature. It is in a mother's nature, especially a mother with a nursing infant. There's an incredible bond that takes place there. So much of a bond that it's actually unbreakable. That scientists will say there's chemical reactions that are released in nursing in crazy ways that actually physically bond you with your child. And and Jesus is going, you know your moms? You think she'd leave you when you're nursing? You think that's even in her character and her nature? He goes, no, no, because what's in a mom's character and nature drives her towards her children, drives her. It does not matter the rejection that comes. And God compares himself to a mother in this way and goes, you know what? Even these may forget. So he goes, hey, you know how good God is even in these moments? He goes, there's always the people in church that are the exception. And they're like, actually, my mom did forget me. She left me on the doorstop and, uh, and just let me go. And they're like, that was me. I'm the exception. And Jesus goes, um, no. Uh, even these may forget. Yet I will not forget you. Yet I will not forget you. this understanding of forgottenness is very important because what happens when you feel like you were forgotten and nothing is working out in your life and you have all these problems and you feel like you've been doing so good for so long and then all of a sudden it feels like nothing is working out in your life and really it's just taking a little bit too long. What happens is we tend to reject the love of God and we definitely reject the invitation to sing in the midst of our pain. We definitely reject the invitation to come come to church and gather with His people because we're like, yeah, but it hurts. And God goes, let's talk about this for a minute. You think of the way I created mothers to be and how they, their nature drives them towards their children. God says, so my nature compels me towards you compels me towards you. Daniel started leading us into how he loves us. And if you've grown up in church at all, that song continues to sing. And we can tend to go, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Because it sounds like a, yeah, I know God loves us. People say it all the time. I know God loves me. Because it sounds like a mere argument, a mere idea. And ideas don't often feel like they're doing any good cuz we want to go show me. Right? Somebody can say I love you. You want to say show me. Deep in your heart, you might not actually say that. But God goes, first you need to understand a mother's character and nature. Cuz you can't even understand even looking at a mother's love, you cannot understand how rich, amazing, overwhelming is the love of God. That continues to crash over you, no matter what is taking place in your life, and no matter how you feel, His love is moving towards you. We're so reliant on our feelings. I can remember being a little boy, being hugged by my mom, and going, But I just don't feel like you love me. Right? Because our feelings get in the way, and we're just kind of like, No. Oh. And then God goes even further, and he says this, verse 16. We can just leave these scriptures up so we can watch this, because I need you to see this. It says, behold, a wonderful l- word, look. It's an emphatic word. It's not like, hey, come check this out, if you want to. <laughs> look, look, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Okay, so there's a common thing that takes place nowadays that uh, people will kind of tattoo the name of one that they love on their body. And they will place them in that way because they're showing that they belong to someone. And that's modern day. In ancient times, often, Slaves would have, slaves or servants, would have the name of their master tattooed on them. In case they ever decided to go get lost, somebody could bring them home. Like, oh, you belong to this, come with me. This actually happened. But, but look at what it's saying here. It says, behold, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. No time in history would a master ever engrave the name of his servant. Even the name of his child on his hands or his body. He wouldn't mark it that way because the child existed in that day to serve the family. It was to continue on the line of the family. No one would do this. And this word gets even more shocking because the word engraved, now check this out, the word engraved actually means to use a hammer, a chisel. Or a spike. It means to graft that in. To carve that in. We might think that that's just a wonderful analogy. A wonderful metaphor. For how God loves us. Oh yeah, he loves us that much. But we go, behold, look. Look. God has engraved you. Chiseled you. Your name who he loves on the palms, palms of his hands. Are you ready for this? So then in John chapter 20, over 700 years after this was spoken. 700 years plus after this was spoken. Somebody else was doubting the love of God. Somebody else was feeling like we often feel. His name was Thomas. And Thomas was a guy that felt like he was on the outs because he had watched his best friend, the one that he had given his life to, who he would call master, and yet who his master called him friend, Jesus, die on the cross. And so he died on, Jesus died on the cross, and he's in the grave, and then he has a bunch of people, including girls, come to him and go, he's alive, he's alive. He goes, but he didn't come to me. But he didn't, he showed himself to you and not me. Thomas is dealing with a lot of stuff. Dealing with fear, frustration, anxiety. The disciples all had fear. How we know that? It's because of random historical details which make the Bible so true because they locked their door. Why do you write that in the scriptures if you're not to indicate that somebody's a little bit afraid? Lock your door. Coming home super late at the ferry. I was, uh, I was praying and prepping for this morning and, uh, and I decided to have my window rolled down and just stay in the holding area. All of a sudden I was like, my feet were out and I was like, what if somebody comes and like tries to get me? So I like rolled up my window (laughs) because I was just like praying and focusing and the last thing I wanted to do is someone come in and go, hey, like (laughs) steal my iPad. No, I don't know. Uh, But I like locked my doors. I wasn't in fear. I was just like, ah, it's a little awkward just in case. I'm like, what if I fall asleep? I'm like, (laughs) anyways, locked your doors. So Thomas is afraid and he's not only afraid, he's frustrated like, don't, don't ever look at the Bible the way you want to see it. Understand something. The gospel is an offense and it's an assault to everybody that was there at the time. Because Jesus' primary witnesses at the beginning of his resurrection were women. And women were not allowed to testify in court at that time. My, how things have changed. God goes, well, this is true. I'm reestablishing things. I'm going to put my trusted trusted world in the hands of people that you might disbelieve. Are you going to believe me? Are you going to believe my words above the vehicle it comes through? And so Thomas is there and, and this is in John chapter 20 if you want to look at this starting in verse 24 to 29. And Thomas is there. We're not going to read the whole thing. I just need you to hear this this morning. Thomas is there. And he says to his friends and his disi- the, the, his fellow disciples. And he goes, unless I see the nail marks on his hands and the scar on his side, I won't believe. I won't believe. And so 700 years after that Isaiah 49 prophecy, Jesus Walks through the locked door, appears, and singles out Thomas. Remember this, though, for this morning. He singled out Thomas after he had already revealed himself to the other ten disciples. Thomas gets a different gig. Thomas might have been feeling left out. Always want to be careful speaking from the silence of Scripture. But it's very clear that Thomas did not see Jesus till that moment. So, that's familiar pain. That's familiar anxiety, is it not? You're in church and somebody gets the prophetic word that you were hoping you would get? You're in church and you feel like, if only I had, like, if only I had this deliverance in this moment, it would be okay. And then someone comes skipping through the door going, guess what I got? I got a job. You're like, oh, I need a job. You start dealing with all this kind of stuff and yet familiar people are very familiar and Thomas like us he's going, unless I see it I'm not going to believe it and Jesus comes to him and the very first thing that he says is he says, Thomas behold, look touch see see fulfilling the very words of Isaiah's prophecy. See, I have comforted my people in the midst of your fear, in the midst of your frustration. I have come alongside of strength. I'm going to fill you with boldness. See my love for you, Thomas. Look how I have engraved you on my palms with a hammer and a spike. See my love. And all of a sudden you know that Jesus is not saying to you just trust my love. He says see my love. Because he's not just saying a concept that you're meant to float around and just hopefully hang on to. He's going I've demonstrated it on the cross. I've showed you my love. Look for eternity. You will always see those marks. For eternity. Because Revelation chapter 20 if you want to put that up. Revelation chapter 20 declares this. We'll start in verse 21. Says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, the seas were no more. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and will be his people. And God Himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear. From their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and he who is seated on the throne said, behold I am making all things new and he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true Jesus says, look can we get that back up there that one he says, look I am making all things things new behold look again look at my love for you because for eternity for eternity Christ has humbled himself in a way that for eternity the scars on his hands and his side and his feet will forever be there for you to see Because why? That is the greatest demonstration of his love for you that trumps every felt feeling that you have because he says, look, behold, look at me. I love you with a never-ending love, a love that is indestructible, a love that I am forever marked by. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands and see, it matters because when we do Christian life and we do it together or we feel like we're doing it alone, we need to look at Jesus. A lot of our issues, a lot of our stuff and our struggles and our ups and downs are found because we're not looking. We're not looking at Jesus. And all of this reminds me of when Alicia was... a. Alicia was about seven years old. And so I have I've, five children, four daughters. And Alicia's my oldest. And uh, oldest daughter. And she, she, I think she was about seven. And we, we were at this place called the Great Wolf Lodge. And it had lots of water slides, happiness all around. And uh, and all, all around, uh, there's these slides. And there's these big slides over there. And Alicia worked up the courage to finally go up there. And it was getting close to the time when it was, uh, the water slides were gonna be closed and everybody have to go back in and get ready for bed or whatever. And because and, uh, we were, it, this place is like a hotel, so it's like a hotel water slide, it's really fun. And uh, and so we were there, just enjoying our time together. And then she finally, she looks at me and she goes, Daddy, let's go do the big water slide. And I'm like, all right, here we go. So we walk up very slowly and very Very contemplatively, (laughs) Alicia counts all her steps. And then all of a sudden at the top, she kind of looks over and sees that Maddie over in the far, far down part of the water slide, not up there with us, looks very tiny. And Alicia had her glasses on, so she's like squinting and going, Daddy, 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 is, is that Mommy? I'm like, yeah, that Mommy's right down there. She goes, Daddy, Daddy, I can't do this. I was like, oh no, you'll be okay. Trust me. Trust me. Words, right? She goes, Daddy, I can't do this. I go, Alicia, let's go. We have to go. And she goes, No, Daddy, we can walk back down the stairs. <laughs> and I was like, Honey, I call her Honeydew. It's like, Honeydew, we can't walk back down the stairs. And she goes, Why not? I'm like, well, number one, I don't want it. But number two, <laughs> number two, I was like, look, they're closing the gate. And then they closed the gate to force everybody that was on the slide to go down, right? And classic so that nobody else can come back up. And she flips. <laughs> All of a sudden, I am the worst daddy in the world. This was what she said. Now, remember the beginning of the story in case you're just not trailing with me she asked me to go up on the water slides. I didn't even ask her. But then it turned in that moment, and she, with all little force of all that she is, a little mini person, she just turns and she points and she goes, you knew this was gonna happen! I hate you! You are trying to kill me! (laughs) And the, the thing about my daughter is you might think I'm exaggerating, she becomes more articulate the angrier she gets. A lot of people can't talk. It's very funny. They get angry and they're like, I just, I just, not my daughter. My daughter would go to war and she'll just be like, like literally, at times like she's gotten angry at me. She's like, Father, you are the worst daddy in the whole world. You're the biggest failure in the whole world. Just come at me. Be when she gets emotional and then she'll use these rational arguments and I'm like, that does make me look like a bit of a failure. I'm sorry. (laughs) But, uh, but it's, but then, So she's freaking out and she's going, but daddy, but daddy. And when she gets going, like it just, it shifts and she goes, but daddy, but daddy, you don't understand. But daddy, but daddy, you don't get this. But daddy, but daddy, you, you are going to, I'm going to die. This is not okay. Would you take me away? And my heart is bleeding for her at this point. I'm like, man, I could probably just hop that little fence thing. Like we can go back down the stairs. But then something stirred in my heart and I got down really low with her and I just said, I grabbed her as she often grabs me. And the way my daughter has, even from an early age of age three, when she wants my attention, she'll climb up to whatever she needs to climb up to, and she will grab my cheeks and press them forward and go, Daddy, look at me. She'll press them in. And then usually she goes, Daddy, I like your beard. But in that moment, I got down on my knees. And I said, look at me. And then she goes, but daddy, but daddy, but daddy, but daddy. And I go, look at me. And I had to say it three times. I said one more time, look at me. And she went, but daddy, but daddy. And I was like, I am your daddy. You are marked with my name. And I have always demonstrated my love for you. I have not left you. And I will take you down this slide. Look at me. And the felt presence calmed her down enough to get on the slide. And we went shooting down that thing. And when we hit the bottom... She was so sad the slide was closed. She's like, Daddy, that was the best ride in the whole world. You're amazing. I love you. This is so exciting. <laughs> Mommy, I went on the slide. I did, did you see me? Did you see me? Did you see me? And that, that picture for me shifts everything in my mind because I realize how quickly and how fickle I also am in the midst of my stuff because it instantly something kind of railroads you, and no one's ever saying it's not painful. Because none of you would ever go to my 7-year-old daughter and go, you're such a wuss. I can't believe you go down that slide. It's easy. Nobody would say that. Felt pain is felt pain. But the reality is is that it's felt pain. And Jesus is saying, "Oh no, I have comforted you. My love for you, it doesn't run out. It doesn't run dry." it's actually never-ending. It's actually steadfast. It's actually indestructible love. The Jesus Storybook Bible, the Children's Bible, says it this way, that God's love is never-ending, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Always and forever love. And yet we stand here and we go, yeah, but, but it doesn't feel like that right now. Remember the people of Israel saying the same thing? But we feel forsaken. And Jesus says, no, on the cross, I took your forsakenness. I took your pain. I took your stuff. And everything that you could think of right now that would disqualify me from, disqualify you from my love, everything you can think of, I took it. I took it on myself. I've covered you. And Jesus is standing there with his arms wide open, with the forever love marks on his hands, engraved forever. Engraved forever. And you know why I read the scripture in Revelation, chapter 21? Because one thing I can't reconcile. Why do we have tears in heaven? How does he wipe them and why? And I believe Jesus spoke this to me about that. Is that because when you meet Jesus face to face and you see his arms stretched wide saying, welcome, My son, welcome my daughter into your eternal rest. Welcome to the life that I have prepared for you. The mansions that I have prepared for you. The life that I have prepared for you. The responsibility that I'm going to give you. When he says welcome, I believe with all my heart I can show you through the whole of Scripture that the tears are because we go. I didn't see that you were that good, and now I see you are so good. They're not tears of, well, Jesus, my life was so hard, and how come you left me? And this just felt like this was the worst. I lost my job, I lost my spouse, I lost my children. I don't think they're those tears. Though we all come with this pain, because it's only in this life do we have to worship in the midst of pain because he says that part's all gone. That part is and not not done away with as if Jesus can't handle your pain. No, made new, because he'll never throw you out. Made new. So I believe it's that wonderful invitation where his arms are spread and though we don't see him now, we know that he has those forever marks on his arms. Believe me, I challenge every university student to try to do this. Go to your historical prof and actually get them to tell you that Jesus wasn't real. Because there is nobody that has credentials academically that can ever deny he existed. So we know it happened. What do we do with it? We know we run into his arms, Because the marks are there and those marks are not arbitrary pain points. Those are engravings of his love. His forever love for you that is meant to sustain you, overwhelm you, overtake you moment by moment every day like the story of the prodigal father that runs to the son who is lost and grabs him and says to his son, accept my acceptance. Accept my love. You have not done too much. You are not a part from me. I have comforted you. I have welcomed you. And I am bringing you into myself, my life. It's my doing. Who we go, oh, you're that good? Because when you see him face to face, you go, oh, yes, you are that good. And I believe he's going to take us to some of those most painful places and he's go, I was right there with you. the people of God always feel forsaken. And Christ forever stands and goes, look at me! You feel forsaken, look at me again and again and again and again. Don't ever stop. You never grow from the gospel. You move deeper and deeper and deeper into the gospel. Because it's the good news of God's love for us. For us. So maybe this will hammer it home for you. you Wanna put that picture up? Adrian and I were spending time chatting about Hebrew because good geeks like to do that. So as we were discussing the Hebrew language and lots of other things about it and occasionally talking about Hebrew words, he just kinda looks at me as I was telling him some of this stuff. Don't look at it yet, just hang on, stay with me. I'm here, I will show you, it's okay. This is what he showed me. He said in my studies, And he kind of set me on a pace to begin to unwrap this even more. And if you want the picture, I'll send it to you. Don't start clipping this thing. It's okay. Okay? It's okay. Watch this. Watch this. So everybody's okay with the fact. I don't know how much historical background in church you have. But uh, the God's revealed name. The God's revealed name is Yahweh. Okay? But here's the fun fact about that. No one knows how to say it. No one even knows how to do it because the Hebrews guarded it so carefully and they bathed before they wrote it and they bathed after they wrote it. Each letter. So they made an abbreviation so they wouldn't have to do it as much. You guys can handle this? <laughs> Smart Christians. <laughs> so they made an abbreviation. And in our understanding of this abbreviation, it looks like that. Y-H-V-H. If you break it down, this is what Adrian was showing me. Okay? The Y is the hand, behold, revealed, the V, nails, established, behold. So if you look at it, here's what the, in the cheating version of Yahweh is. Behold, look at the hand. Behold, look at the nail. It's in his character, his nature, his goodness. Some of you are like, I'm taking language studies right now. It's on. They're fun. You can take that down. So we're going to move into a time of looking again at the nails that marked God's incredible steadfast love for you. God's incredible steadfast love for you. Hebrews chapter 12, and this is very familiar, most of you can quote this if you've been in church at all for a while, and if you haven't been in church for a while, you'll learn to quote this. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here's our key word for this morning. Looking, looking. See that there? Behold the nail, behold the hand, behold the hand, behold the nail. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy that was set before him? At one level, we are the joy. The joy was fulfilling the kingdom of God and drawing a people that were not his people to become a people so that all could become reconciled to him. But do you see what Hebrews says? So you can run, look. Look at him. What Christians at all times, in all places, have to do. Look again and again. And we're gonna move into the Lord's table by looking. By looking. And so I'll invite the elders and servers to come on up and and receive communion as we prepare our hearts. And hear this, we got lots of time. Isn't this exciting? Glad no one's looked at their clocks yet. We got lots of time. And we're gonna have a food truck time later. But this is what we get to do as a people. We're gonna move into a time of response at the Lord's table. And we welcome you to the Lord's table because it's his table. So as he welcomes you, we welcome you. I want to invite you in to participate into this life that God has for you. And in particular, to look at the bread, the broken body of Christ, which is a demonstration of His love for you. And then the cup, which is the cup of the New Deal, the new covenant in His blood. That's the engraving. You see that? The engraving is the bread and it's the cup. And we're proclaiming that death. We're proclaiming that which we look to. And I believe Jesus is gonna enliven that in our hearts and minds. And so as we prepare our hearts for communion, the looking isn't just so that you get over your stuff and over yourself. It's so that you run with endurance. It's so that you get on in this Christian faith, in this Christian life, that you move on in reconciling to your brothers and your sisters, in forgiving others as you have been forgiven. This is it. This is why we exist.